Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. How much is enough? How much food is enough? Like, I love brownies. I can eat a lot of brownies. Like, one brownie's not enough. Uh, a plate would be, I, I measure brownies by the plate full. Like, can I have a plate of these right now? And that's not necessarily a great thing, because brownies are a good thing, but too much of a good thing can actually be a bad thing. It's too much, right? How much is enough with food? How much is enough with money? Like, how much money you make? The, uh, we don't have to guess at this. There's been surveys that are done, and, and they ask people, how much money do you want to make? And across the board, across all income levels, people consistently answer that they want to make about 30% more than they make, which is weird because when you make 30% more than you make, and they ask you in a survey, you'll say 30% more than that. So it actually, it kind of never stops. There's always this desire to have more and more money, and, and, and it's never quite enough. How much um, experience is enough? How much vacation is enough? A week, two weeks, four weeks? How, how long can you sit on a beach? I'm like a, I'm like a half a day beach guy, right? A- after that, I'm like, there's sand everywhere, and it's just hot, and why are we doing this? And, you know, I read the thing. I thought, I, I just can't, right? So I'm, a, I'm good for like half a day. But if you're like, a, I need to go sit at a beach and just, you know, you, you say like, I want to go unwind. Okay, how long does that take? Uh, depends on how bad it's been, I guess, but I, I understand. But, but if you sit there for a day, two days, a week, two weeks, at some point, you need to unwind, and you're kind of unwound, right? Like, at some point, you're like, I just can't keep doing this. I can't sit here forever. Enough is, is uh, enough, right? It, it's hard for us to know how much is enough of things, because a lot of what we believe to be enough or, or right or good a lot of that's culturally conditioned. For example, the car was credited as being invented by, at least in theory, by Leonardo da Vinci. And when Leonardo da Vinci sketched out what he thought of as a car, it was four feet, 11 inches wide. Cars uh, in 1980 were 5.2 feet wide. And today, cars are 5.8 feet wide. So cars are getting wider and longer. So if I asked you, do you, want a, do you want to have a big car, you would just, like, you might say yes, you might say no, but the reality is you don't have much of a choice. This is just the way we're making cars and handing them to you now. Now, it could be a chicken and the egg thing. Maybe we all wanted bigger cars, so they built bigger cars, or maybe we just think we want bigger cars because that's the kind of cars they keep giving us. I, I don't know, but, but if we're looking to culture to set a line for us of this is enough, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, think about technology. How much technology is enough? Does every member of your family need to have a smartphone? And if you say yes, and I understand why you do, but if you say yes, what did you do in 2006? What were we doing then? Does anybody remember? Because we didn't all have them. And what changed between then and now that everybody has to have this? How much G is enough? You got 
we had 3G. You can see where this is going, right? We had 3G, and then people were like, you need 4G. Uh, okay, I, didn't, I don't even know what G is, but I, I, had, I know I had three of them, and now they're like, you better have four. I'm like, and you know, there's this moment where you're like, I don't have 4G. Other, this guy's got 4G. I only have 3G. Now there's five. X, there's another G. When did the G stop? And what's the point? What, what, what do I need with the extra G? It's like, oh, with 5G, I heard, I heard this, like, it was like NPR or something a year ago. They're like, you know, with 5G, they're going to have technology where your bicycle can communicate with the traffic lights. Do I need a bicycle to communicate with traffic lights? Is this something I need in my life? With 5G, you know, you could walk into the mall and they can scan your retina or they could tech check your smartphone and they could tailor the ads to you. And I'm like, seeing this, I'm like, what in the name of Minority Report is happening here in the world? This, this is some Minority Report, Hunger Games, Ready Player One nonsense, and I did not sign up for this. 1984 was not supposed to be a how-to manual. This is like scary, dystopian stuff that we are getting in the name of G, and I don't know why, but they're giving it to us. I'm like, did you notice in Ready Player One that the metaverse is where people went because the actual world was so crappy in Columbus, Ohio, that people like dove into the metaverse like that's supposed to be a warning sign it's not supposed to be an aspirational goal for mark zuckerberg to build for all of us like this is awful and my my point in all this is this is going to continue and there will be no point in american culture where it will draw a line for us and say that's enough you've had enough It'll just be more because I can sell you another thing and it can be another thing and there'll be an, another thing to get a hold of and another thing to consume. And if you're waiting for culture to draw the line, it's not going to happen. So you and I are going to have to say enough is enough. Enough of the money, enough of the shopping, enough of the experiences, enough of the highs, enough of the drugs, enough of the coping mechanisms, enough of the consumption assumption that says, I am what I consume. We, we've got to draw that line because no one's going to draw it for us. Now, I say this to you as a fellow traveler. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching like alongside you or near you or in the same room with you because I'm wrestling this down in my own head, in my own heart, my own gut, and in my own house. When are we going to have enough? And, and do we really need all the things we think we need? Do you remember this commercial from like two years ago? I don't, it was one of those wireless companies and it was, a, and it was these teenagers going to visit their grandparents at, the, at Thanksgiving and the crisis was their grandparents don't have Wi-Fi. And like how lame that was going to be. And I remember seeing that commercial and being sympathetic to the teenagers. But the older I get, I'm really actually more sympathetic to the grandparents. I'm just like, you know what? Maybe your grandparents value a little bit of face-to-face -face time and not FaceTime. Like, like, like maybe they value the relationship. Why don't you play Parcheesi with them and see how that goes? Like try something that's not on a screen. And yeah, I probably just sound like I'm getting older and all that. that that's, that's fine. But I, I, I think there's something there. And I think there's something there that we're missing. And, and we miss it in this culture because we don't value age, right? We, we say things like, oh, you get older, you're stuck in a rut. Or you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's a wonderful thing to call people. Um, we, we, we say these things like, like oh, you know, 
old people are narrow-minded and all these things. It's like, well, as I get older, what I hope I'm becoming is not narrow-minded, stuck in a rut, these things. I hope I'm becoming purposeful, focused, um, living simply, content, um, settled on, on, on really good things, enjoying the experiences that I have, living simply, living more frugally, more content with what I have. I think there's deep wisdom there. And the younger you are in this room, the sooner I hope you get this and understand this, that there's wisdom to be had in a simpler life, in, in saying no and drawing a line and saying enough is enough. There's, there's something there. And that's not wisdom of just one person telling another one in this day and age, hey, we need to watch out. Like There's, there's that, and we, there's things to pay attention there. But I think this is deep wisdom of the ages. The Scripture points us to it. The Apostle Paul speaks of a simpler life and, and living a simpler life. And he, and he speaks to a guy named Timothy. Now, Timothy was Paul's protege, and Timothy lived in Ephesus, which is um, Asia Minor, but modern day it's Western Turkey. Timothy lived there. It was a, a very cosmopolitan city. And in the Roman Empire, they had their own version of bigger, better, more. They had their technologies and things that were making life better and easier and wonderful. And so they had more, you know, more of the parties and more of the wine and more of the experiences and more of the culture. Like, they, they had all of that too. And Paul points them to this countercultural way and, and, and tells Timothy, hey, tell people this. Let them know this. And he points them to a different way of life for, for believers to live within the Roman culture. And his diagnosis of their condition is very similar to what I think his diagnosis of our condition would be in the modern age. Listen to what he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says this. We'll put it on the screen. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So he says, first of all, he talks about contentment. And he says, there's, there's something here. There's something to be gained. And he says, it's through godliness when we know God, when we honor God, when we follow God, when we are in a relationship with Jesus, when we are obedient to him, when we are walking with him, there's a, there's a richness to our souls. There's a depth there. There's, and, 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 and that can bring this peace, this sense of contentment. And it doesn't mean you're going to have all the things. You're not going to have all the shiny, newest, latest, and, and greatest you may not ever actually be rich in that way, but what if you were able to be content? Isn't that better? Like if I said to you, hey, I've got, let me give you a new car. You'd be like, oh, I want a new car. That sounds great. Here's a new phone. Here's a, here's a vacation. Here's a, here's a thing. Let me just give you all these things, a new one. And then the, the problem is, and you know this, a new car just becomes an old car eventually, right? It, it, the new phone breaks. They my, I thought I was going to beat the system with the iPhone, man. I'm like, once my plan runs out, once this phone is paid off, I'm just going to use this thing forever. Nope. 
that thing just breaks in two years. And then they're like, you know, sorry your phone broke. Here's a new one. Get on a new plan. Like, they got me, man. And I'm like, what if I could do that for you and give you the new, newest and latest and greatest? Do you want that? Sure, but here's another alternative. What if I gave you a button that you could push, and when you push the button, suddenly, magically, let's just say, you are content. You're content with what you have and happy. Isn't that better? Isn't it better to be content and happy than it is to constantly have to have more and to be constantly pursuing more? Paul breaks this down for us and he says, godliness and contentment, this is what we need to pursue. And if you have food and clothing, he he points us to those things, if you have food and clothing, what really, what else do you need? The problem comes when we desire too much. And he says, uh, he, he points to the desire to be rich. And then he says this thing that is one of the most misquoted verses in the whole Bible probably because we, we say the love of money is the root of all evil. And he doesn't say that. He says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not to say that the love of money is the problem in everything in the world. But it is, it is the source of a lot of problems. The, the obsessive desire to have more causes problems. And you know that. You know that in your own life. You know that in your own family tree. You know how it's caused problems in relationships, um, how, how much damage it has done when we pursue. This isn't to say that it's bad or evil to have money. I don't think that's true at all. The problem comes when we desire it so much. And so what Scripture articulates for us is this, this countercultural way to live. He's, Paul is saying, pursue godliness and, and, and the basics and, and contentment and, and live that way because you're citizens of a different kingdom. And if, and if we do that, if we, if we are content and we live simply, um, we're going to be different than our neighbors. And I, and I got to tell you right up front, if you're different than your neighbors, this doesn't necessarily make you one of the cool kids. It won't make you cool at school, it won't make you cool at work, it won't make you cool in your neighborhood if you don't pursue everything that everyone else is pursuing. It'll make you different and maybe a little, a little weird. But we are citizens of a different kingdom, and some of the things culture is going to pursue are not, is not going to align with the kingdom values that, that God calls us to. Now, when I say, and I'm very aware in 2022, if I say, we need to live counterculturally. We need to live as citizens of a different kingdom. And if we pursue God's kingdom, that's not going to line up with the rest of the culture. There's a temptation or tendency that we might have to hear that in current political terms. So you might sort of go like, yeah, the culture is going to hell in a handbasket. It's like really bad out there. And it's because of the Democrats. And it's because of the Republicans. And we need to just not do what they say. And we need to fight the man and resist the power and all that kind of thing. And I'm saying at their best and at their worst, at like, no, on their best day, the Democrats will not deliver the kingdom of God. And at their best day, the Republicans are not going to do that either. This is our thing. This is our countercultural way to live. We're not relying on any government and even the best ones in the world will not do this. They're not aligned. They're not set up for it. And so we need to be the people who draw the lines and say, enough is enough. I will live more simply. 
um, I will live in a different kingdom. I'm not going to rely on America or any other place to establish the kingdom for me. I'm going to do something different because what Jesus calls us to is different. And so I want to challenge you with that. Really, in this series on Fast and Slow, I've been thinking about um, so the different, different values of how do we slow our pace and how do we observe Sabbath and, and take a day off. We've talked about that. And how do, we, how do we fast? What does it look like to not eat for periods of time? And, and, and what value is that in, the, in our lives? And, and today, I think the call is for simplicity, to step away from the consumption and say, enough is enough. I'm going to live a more simple life and walk in a different kingdom. And the initiation into the kingdom of God, the, the, the ceremony we might have to, to join with God is, is, is called baptism. When people get baptized, they are immersed in water. You may have seen this. We've done this at church. Um, people are immersed in water, and in a, in a symbolic way, sort of the old them is gone, and then they come out of the water, and they are, they are born again. They are a new person. And what we're going to do is a couple weeks from now on Easter Sunday, we're going to baptize people. There's already a couple people have said to come forward and they're ready to be baptized. And we're going to do a worship service in here. And then afterwards over at 2810, we're going to gather up and we're going to baptize some folks and have a big celebration with it. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. And I'm inviting you to be there. And if, inviting you to be there to watch and cheer for sure. But also I'm inviting you to be baptized if you've not been baptized. If you've not made a decision of your own free will to give your life to Christ and be immersed into the water and, and, and say with your life, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to obey him, I'm going to walk in this countercultural kingdom and not the, just the kingdom of the world, um, that's the invitation that's there for you. Um, and, and I guess I would say with that, if you've not been baptized and, and, and God's been working on your heart, what are you waiting for? Like, let's, let's do this. The water will be warm and we'll be ready ready to go. Um, what are you waiting for? Don't, don't wait for it to be cool because it will never be cool. It will never be the, the, the cultural way of doing things. I think sometimes we forget that in America because Christianity in America, um, if you were a Christian in America for certain times in, uh, of, of American history, you kind of had the wind at your back and it was okay to be a Christian and maybe a good thing. Um, I've got a friend who ministered it to college students in China uh, about a decade ago. And um, if you become a Christian there, it's a very different thing to give your life to Christ. And the, I actually saw a video, I wish I had it for you, but he, there was a video and there was a lady being baptized in their ministry. And so right before she was baptized, there was another lady who had been discipling her and teaching her about Jesus. And the lady who was baptizing her right before this young woman was to be baptized, a lot of times when we baptize people, we say like, you know, um, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I commit my life to him. We kind of have people repeat this thing. And sometimes people will share their testimony of why they're getting baptized. This woman asked this other young woman before she was baptized, like, are you ready to be disowned by your family? Are you ready to, you know, walk this different path? And it was very direct, and you were very aware watching this, what the stakes really were for her. It wasn't, I'm going to be baptized and go be welcomed home, and it's going to be fine. It was, it was real, and it's different. And, and I just thought, this is why the church has grown in China, is because to come on board, you have to count the cost and be serious. And you can't just do it because it was, like, cool, because it just never is or was. And I think that's a, a, a powerful thing. 
So if you've not been baptized, write on your Try Five card that you have, and we will contact you. Let's, let's get together, have coffee, and talk about it, and let's get ready for Easter Sunday to do those baptisms. Um, join us to be part of the quiet revolution that sees the world differently and charts a different course for flourishing than the course that is given to us by social media. All right, so that's one text on simplicity or, or, or maybe pairing back, but I want to give you a, maybe even a better one. The church, Paul writes another letter to the church in Thessalonica, which is modern-day Greece, um, and uh, listen to what he says. I, I love this um, not, not often quoted uh, passage, 1 Thessalonians 4. Listen to what Paul says. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So first of all, he says, you guys are loving well, so keep it up. The, the, the greatest commandment, to, to love, love God and love your neighbor. You're, you're doing that really well. It's a great thing about, a great feature of this culture, of this, of this new church. Um, love that. But then he says, here's, here's what I want you to know to walk through the crazy world that we live in. Uh, live quietly, live, live simply, um, and, and, and don't make a fuss, and, and, and he basically is like, work with your hands, um, and, which, is, which is weird, right? Um, it, it's, it's, it's a weird thing. And it would be a weird verse for us in America because self-help books will tell you the opposite. You're supposed to live out loud, and you're supposed to crush all the goals and you you know and then the verse comes along it's like live simply and just make things with your hands like we should put that on a coffee mug instead of like all the other things that we would do right because it's so countercultural it's saying man you don't have to crush destroy accomplish like no live simply and the reason he tells them to do it is he said because of how it will preach to outsiders the people not of your faith when they see you uh, not making a fuss they see you um, taking care of your own, he says, mind your own affairs, taking care of your own business and not being worried about everybody else's and working with your hands like you're doing something productive, you're making something happen. Um, this is the challenge that Paul gives us um, because we live in a culture that says, well-behaved women seldom make history. And it's like, okay. I mean, the truth is very few of us make history. Very few of us ever will. We'll be gone, and then people will forget that we were here. I know it's depressing, but it's true, right? Like, I've, I've told you this before. They're not going to make a statue for you. They're not. Uh, my name is not going to be on a plaque somewhere, the Chris Barris Memorial plaque. It's just not. And, then, and, and, and even if it is truth, somebody will just rip it down later, and they'll think I was, they'll be like, Chris Barris, he's awful. Let's rip this down 100 years from now. Like, it's just, uh, it's always going to happen. The values will change. Culture will change. Like, you're not going to be immortalized on a statue. So what are we, what are we living for? What are, where, are we, where, are we, where are we going? What if we, what if we just said, mm, I want to live quietly. I want to mind my business, do some work with my hands, um, and walk a different road and see if people notice. Not, I don't need to shout at them. I, I need to be quieter than that. Maybe the principle for us today, 
is, is to slow down a bit. So let me give you a couple ideas and then we're done. Um, I think these are principles for us to step away from the busyness and the hurry and uh, the consumption and move towards simplicity. Here's three ideas and then we're done. Number one, intentionally draw some lines where culture does not draw them. You're going to have to do this. Let me give you the easiest example, money. Um, the average American family spends 117% of what they earn. So we are not great at drawing lines on something as simple as a budget, right? And I, I've lived this too, so I'm not, I'm not saying y'all out there, like, I, I get it. Um, so we are over-consuming. We are eating more than we have and looking around of where we can get more for it. And, and what if that could change? If you, because the truth is, if you spend the way that everyone else spends, you're going to end up with the problems that everyone else has. Right? You're going to run into those same challenges. What would it look like to do something different? And you know what the problems are with spending. When you overspend, it's stressful, and then you got to hustle, and then you got to work harder. And when you work harder, it's stressful on you and on your body and on your wallet. And, on, um, and then it become, you know, your financial problems become relation prob- relationship problems as you argue with people about the money. And then your health suffers, which becomes another financial problem and, and all of that. Um, our entire economy is structured for you to do this um, and, and, and constantly get a new thing. And maybe simplicity looks like you draw a line there where the culture doesn't draw a line. Uh, this is one of the reasons why we challenge people to give money away. Um, I, I don't, I, I've said this before, I don't know if I'm greedy, but I do know that I don't spend all the money I make. I give, I give a portion of it away. This is why we, we, why we tell people, this is why we say, give here at the church, give to uh, kingdom-minded things, give back to God a portion of what he has given to you so that you don't spend everything you make, so that you're wise with your money so that you draw a line where the culture does not draw it. It, it, it can have a, a profound effect on you. Um, give away your money generously, intentionally, sacrificially. Get off the consumption train because you may not like where that train is going. Proverbs 22.7 tells us where that train goes. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. That sounds very ancient, oh, the rich and the poor, and the borrowers, the slaves, slavery, you know, bond servants, all that kind of stuff. But in very modern terms, aren't you enslaved to debt? Isn't that what happens? When it starts piling up, you can't think straight. I've been there, you've probably been there too. It destroys you when, 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 I mean, that is ancient wisdom, and it is still true. The borrower is going to become a slave to the lender. They gave you the platinum card from Capital One, and they're like, this is freedom. It's the opposite of that. Tricked you. Like, it's, it's slavery with 22% interest. And they're going to own you. Like, this is the plan, right? They didn't build that campus off of making you free, <laughs> They build it off of, we're going to take this from you. So, uh, and I understand why, you know, certainly a credit card is preferential to literal slavery, which is how these kind of credit problems were solved, you know, thousands of years ago. I get that. But the principle is still there, and we need to think about um, what it does. And so we may need to draw some lines there that the culture doesn't. Spend money differently. Give money away. Save money aggressively. 
Number two, before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? Um, There are many shiny plastic objects out there for us to buy. And they're pretty, and and they they look good, and they feel good. um, But before you make that purchase, just think, what is the true cost of this? Because the true cost of the thing is often much greater than the thing itself. Can I afford that motorcycle? You bet. Now what? Okay, gas, insurance, maintenance, like winterizing it. Like there are all these things that go with it. And this is true of all the things. Like this is true of like pets and everything. It's like this has to be groomed and cleaned and fed and dealt with. Like there is just a hidden cost to all of that stuff. And it costs you money. It costs you time. Um, Maintenance, you know. Oh, I want to have a pretty lawn. Do you know how much work a lawn takes? Is that in the history of the world? Is this like why are we doing that? Like... Is that how you want Saturday to be for the rest of your life? Like, just think about it. There's a hidden cost to these things, and you need to factor it in. What if the cost of lawn care, what if that's costing you relationships? What if you could actually be having the time that you say you don't have, and you could have it back, and you could invest in relationships? Wouldn't you, would you rather die with a good lawn or with better relationships to get to the end of your life? I think, I think you'd go for the relationships. You can always move to that place in Florida where they'll, they'll do the lawn for you. Like, just work on the relationships. Um, I'm not against owning things. I own things. But I do want to caution all of us about the things owning us. It's real. And finally this, um, and there's a lot of points we could do with this, but I'll stop here. Number three, cultivate a deep appreciation for simple pleasures. Make it, Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and work with your hands. And that, when I read that, it sounds old-fashioned and quaint. Oh, this quiet life, I'm going to work with my hands. I have this like, uh, (laughs) I read it somewhere and I was like, that sounds good. I have this fantasy of like, um, I'm going to like retire to the country and become like a, and I'm going to own a shop where I'm going to repair like small clocks. I don't know how to repair clocks. I just think no big clocks, those suck, but the small ones I will repair in my little shop in the country. Now, I, 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 But there's something there where I'm like, mm, something productive. Um, there's the, the, the simple pleasures of, of I got something done today and, and uh, the satisfaction of that. Um, it, I, 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 I crave it more. I, I crave quiet, and I'm an extrovert, but I crave quiet. Um, I appreciate making things with my hands. I've gotten into, inadvertently, but I've gotten into car maintenance lately, and I, I just got like a whole bunch of tools for my birthday, and I'm like, this is like working with your hands, because what I've concluded is that a laptop does not count <laughs> of work with your hands. Um, so I, I'm so discover the simple pleasures. A, a, a good cup of coffee is, it, it doesn't get a lot better than that, actually. Um, a bike ride on a spring day, we, when COVID happened and they closed the gym, I got out onto a bike with friends and I discovered how pretty it is along Route 5 near Verina when the, when the fields are yellow with flowers and the sun is out and there's a light breeze and I'm like, this is great. This is way better than crunch because it just smelled like rubber in crunch, and there was no flowers, but there was just ESPN shouting at me from a screen, 
um, there's something there. It's amazing how desensitized we get to the simple pleasures. Like, let's just take an example. Strawberries. They're good, right? Yeah, strawberries are good, right? Strawberries are good. Strawberries are, are sugar-filled, especially for natural food. Like, it's, they can be packed with sugar. Do you know what we do to strawberries in our culture? We put chocolate on them. I'm not saying that's terrible, but isn't a strawberry good on its own? Can't we just appreciate the strawberry for what it is? Does it have to have chocolate? Because it's like, gosh, strawberry, you're so good, but you're not good enough. And today, like, I, I, that's not enough sugar. Like, I want more. We're going to dip you in various ways because you're just not good enough on your own. And, like, can we just go back to the strawberry, the simple strawberry, and appreciate it as it is, nature's little sugar bomb that it is, you know? Like, do we... But we get desensitized to it. That's not enough. It has to have chocolate. And play that principle out over everything. We're like, effectively, we pour chocolate on everything in life. Which, actually, that doesn't sound terrible, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, we're, we, just, we, just get, we just go too far. And we miss out on the simple pleasures. Do we really need more and more? Or could we just be happy and content with less? Isn't that better? If the, is, is the point really just to have more? No. That's not good for the environment when we all have more. It's not good for us. We are created in the image of God. He has given us good work to do, good gifts to enjoy, and we, can, we should appreciate what he's given us. I have taken up reading fiction. Um, I, I read a, a, a lot of books, mostly nonfiction, leadership, theology, whatever, um, and I've taken up reading fiction lately. Um, it always felt like a waste of time to me, um, but... I mean, what else do I got to do? I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, so I started, I started reading uh, Wendell Berry. I don't know if you ever read him. Um, he writes fiction, nonfiction, poetry, the whole thing. And I read, uh, and I've been reading his uh, novel, Jaber Crow. And it's set in rural Kentucky in a town called Port William in 1950. Uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, it's like this whole period. So very different than urban Richmond in 2022. And, and, I, and I'm reading about, like, the schoolhouse and, you know, the grave digging and the farmers and all of this stuff. And there's something really refreshing to me about it in the midst of how complicated our world has become. There's something so simple about it. Um, and, I, and there's a piece of me that longs for it. I, I, now, look, I know we can overly romanticize another era. Oh, in the, weren't the 50s great? Sure, in some ways, but not for everybody. Let's, let's be clear. It wasn't so awesome in the Jim Crow South. It was not a great setup for the whole world, right? Like, I, I, I get that. Um, but I'm, I'm reading this, and I, I read a section he, he wrote. Uh, he writes about um, observing, like, what happened to their town when the interstate was made. And that was before I was born, so I never thought about the interstates coming in. But I have thought on 95 North near Quantico, I have thought, there's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> this is awful. The richest country in the world, and this is the best we can do. Like, really? It's a very different experience if you take the train to D.C. Because then you go through little quaint towns and along the water. You actually see Quantico, which is meh. But, um, but it's actually like a, diff a very different experience. And... Barry in his book, and I just wanted to read you this one piece, he, he writes about what happened when the interstate came into their, 
their area, which is not something I've ever, ever thought about, which is actually why I'm enjoying the book. Listen to what he says. I'll just read you these two short paragraphs. By the time the interstate highway was boring its way into our valley and across it and out again on the other side, everything it came to looked smaller than it had looked before. Whatever it came to that was in its way, it destroyed. It was a great stroke of pure geometry cut through the country, maybe five miles down the river from Port William, close enough that now, when the town is quiet, it can hear the sound of more traffic in a few minutes than ever went through it in a month. The interstate cut through farms. It divided neighbor from neighbor. It made distant what had been close and close what had been distant. It interrupted the flow of water through the veins of the rock. All the roads that had gone through our part of the country before had been guided at least somewhat by the place, the features of the land, older roads, property boundaries. This one, this great casting away of the earth, respected no presence, no limits. It, it remembered nothing. Anything that was in its way had to move or be moved, house or hill, barn or field, stream or woods. Big bulldozers cut the land way down to the rock. Power drills bit into the rock. Explosions cracked and shook the rock, and pieces were hauled away. Places where lives had been lived disappeared from the face of the world forever. For all that is gained by that, by getting to grandma's house even faster, things have been lost. I mean, I, I read that and I thought of cars and radiator springs. I don't know if you go there, but I just thought something is lost with all the technology and the more and the consumption and the having and the efficiency and the quicker and the better and, the, and, and something also is lost when we, when we, when we gain those things things. And I think there's value in, in living more simply. And I especially think that there's value for Christians because we are the people who have been told by God to fill the earth and then subdue it and take care of it and to be thoughtful about what we're doing with it. I think there's incredible value there. So this week, let me challenge you um, to live more simply, to really sit down with your life and go, what is enough? What is enough money? What is enough of a vehicle? What is enough of career advancement? What is enough of, of these things? Like, how much do you need to have? And, and really set some, budget your time, budget your life that way, like you would budget money, um, and, and, and really dive into that. Because I think um, if we do that, we will really appreciate what the Lord has given us, the good gifts that he's given us. Let's pray. God, help us to live more simply, um, to not feed the consumption assumption and not um, constantly pursuing bigger, better, and more, but help us to understand what Paul means, that there is um, great gain to be had in godliness and contentment. God, may we be the people who pursue your heart, who make time for the simple things, who make time for relationships in a way that... Um, Maybe the broader culture around us just won't. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom of Paul and, and what he wrote down that you inspired him to write in his, in his letter to the Thessalonians and his, and his, uh, and his advice to Timothy. Um, may we learn from that and apply it now in our culture. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.